0: Hello and welcome to Pontifex. I'm Fry
1: and I'm Bree. Ranking all of the popes from Peter to Francis.
0: We're not ranking today, no. We're not. It's our birthday! Yay, oh! birthday! It's Pontifex's birthday. We are one year old, and our humble baby Pope podcast is growing. So can you believe? We've made it through our first year. No. Every time I look at, like, the number on episodes, it's just so much bigger than I remember it being. It is so much bigger. We have done a lot of episodes for our first year, and we
1: have covered a lot of things. So, for this very, very special anniversary special, we are not ranking a pope today. We are going to talk a little bit about the journey we've been on so far, a brief recap. And then we're going to be answering your questions, because you all had amazing questions for us. And so let's jump right into it, as per usual. So, what have we covered in this podcast so far? Popes. (laughs) Yes, so many popes. But we started with literally a biblical figure. And we went all the way through so, so, so many persecutions and so, so many martyrdoms up to Sixtus II, and then we were dealing with lapsing popes who weren't quite sure what they were doing. We had Marcellinus and Liberius. We've dealt with banished popes, Marcellus and Eusebius. We went all the way to the Edict of Milan, Toleration in 313 by Galerius, the Conversion of Constantine and the Council of Nicaea in 325, to De Fide Cattolica in 380, recognizing Christianity as the official religion. We have been on a journey. We have gone from the menial bishop of Rome to the primal authority of the church, from the Council of Nicaea to Pope Damasus and the first look at a papal primacy. We are so close to things like officially legitimized papal primacy. We are on the tale of the fall of Western Rome, it's literally right around the corner. We are closing the door in a couple episodes on our early church and entering the first loosely based term of the middle ages or the medieval period. Can you believe it?
0: Oh man, that's crazy.
1: The medieval period? We're almost there. We are like, four popes away from being done with the early church can you believe it no pretty amazing i i'm really really excited that i've been able to yell about so many popes at you (laughs) (laughs) and that so many people have come along with the ride so to get started i want to recap you and i which are our favorite episodes and our favorite popes to date so tell me about your favorite pope man Oh,
0: um, I'm pretty sure it was Fabian.
1: Fabian was definitely one of mine. I think that's the episode where you laughed the hardest. It also included the Emperor Pupianus. so you yes. really liked that, yep. Calixtus is definitely my favorite. I mean, I like a fighty-punchy, just scandal-filled pope who actually did a lot of good things and then got blamed for doing good things, like forgiving people, you know? It just, he was definitely my favorite so far.
0: I did really enjoy doing the Santa Claus episode. He's not a pope, though. He's not.
1: Well, this is one of the other things. We need to address and acknowledge figures that have made a mark on us, like Saint Nicholas, like Cyprian, Pelagius, Athanasius, Polycarp, and Eusebius, that Eusebius. I mean, we have done some major figures so far. But we can't acknowledge just the good stuff. I want to know who your least favorite pope is.
0: Um, alright, probably the one we just did today.
1: Yeah, the one we recorded that will be coming out Zazu Man. Yeah, Zazu is a problem. Zazu Miss,
0: yeah, not (laughs) Zazu Man, that's the other guy.
1: Yes, Zazu is my least favorite pope as well. I also didn't like Scumbag Steve. Oh yeah, I forgot about Scumbag
0: Steve. (laughs) Scumbag Steve and Zosimus would be Vegas' best friends. They would be Vegas' best friends. <laughs> um, oh, I did not enjoy doing Novation's episode. Oh yeah, he was a pain. I really this may be an
1: upset here because he's our top scorer so far, but I really hated Damasus. He was the worst. A bad man. He was such a bad man. I mean, we've had a lot of fun doing this entire series so far. We started. With circular friends.
0: Oh my gosh. You do, okay. That was directly after Ice and Fire Con. Like, I had just gotten home. I had been home for maybe like 10 hours and you were like, do this thing with me. And I was like, my brain has not booted up. But okay, here we
1: go. I don't think anybody will also also forget your uh, dicks out for celibacy. Uh, no, never. So I don't think you can use Ice and Fire Con every time.
0: Nope, that was not an ice and con problem.
1: It's been a journey. We've just gotten to the sack of Rome, which is definitely more depressing. So, I mean, we've been places, we're going places, and you guys have a lot of questions for us, so I think we should jump right into that because I want to make sure that I tried to fit in every single question. If you don't hear your name attached to the question, it's because someone else also asked it. We had a lot of similar questions, but I tried to make sure that everyone who sent something in was represented at least once. So yeah, if your question didn't make it in, send it to me again, and we will try and answer them via social media as well. So first, question about us. We're going to answer this together, I suppose, but here we go. Question number one came from Amy Snodder, who asked, Bree lives in Vancouver, Fry lives in Chicago, and you guys are best friends. How did you meet?
0: Oh, the
1: internet. The internet, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we we have been internet besties for, oh my goodness, since 2006. 2007? No, it was definitely earlier than that because I graduated high school in 2007.
0: Uh, it might have been like December 2006 then. It was
1: definitely 2006, so we've been best friends for like 13 years. Forever. Yep, yeah, I ran an online community for a game. Fry joined that game, (laughs) and so, yeah, it was before I even graduated high school, so it's been a long, long time. Fun fact, we have, despite talking pretty much all day, every day, that whole time, Fry and I have been in the same place physically, like, twice. Yep, twice in our life, and one was when we released this podcast, when I flew out for my bachelorette, so.
0: Yeah, and the other time, your your mom had to come here, so... (laughs) We just hung out. I took Brie to Medieval Times. It was fun. Yeah, that was great. Yeah, the dancing horses and everything.
1: It was, it was, I remember, I don't remember what exactly we were laughing at, but there was some kind of bumper sticker... The car in front of us.
0: Oh, no, I don't remember.
1: We were in hysterics for like 35 minutes of the drive over this stupid bumper sticker, so.
0: Well, we had stopped by the Supernatural Convention to see a bunch of other people. Oh, that's right. Yes, because all of your friends
1: are also my distance friends. It's a long time, and for any of you who doubt online internet friendships and how well they work, uh, you'll pick up exactly the same place when you meet in person. It's true. It's so very rewarding. Second question comes from Cameron Clevenger, who asks, Is the rumor true? Are you two, in fact, Siamese twins? <laughs> I want to know who's been leaking our secrets. Like... Uh, yeah, I don't know. I'm deeply offended that this has gotten out there. This was supposed to be a secret. So, Cameron, I don't know who your source is, but they're on my hit list. The third question comes from Mary Ryan Guarnaccia. I hope I said that correctly. I'm sure I didn't. And this is for me. She asks, Brie, you often describe yourself as a historian. What is your educational and professional background? So here we go. I am a historian, but I am not a PhD historian. I specialize in the Italian Renaissance period with a specific focus on Florence and the Medici. My thesis was on Cosimo de First Medici, the Grand Duke of Tuscany, and his patronage of arts and architecture as an expression of political power. I did my degree through UFE in BC, and I worked professionally as a historian in some archives, but I am not currently actively doing that because right about the time that I graduated with my degree, I started my own business in an entirely different field, which is is what I still do now. It's Kind of hard to describe what I do now because it's kind of an amalgam of things. I'm a fitness model trainer, and in large majority, I work in exercise therapy and behavioral intervention for special needs children. That. so questions about the podcast, Chris, who is on Twitter, asked us what gave you the idea to do a podcast about the popes? That was you, yeah, it was definitely me. Um Bjorn Swartelson also asked the same question, so. What made us land on the popes of all the things to rank and review? So yeah, this is, this is also me, I guess. I, because of what I specialize in in history, the Italian Renaissance, I have always been extremely fascinated with papal history, primarily for the impact and relationship with massive moments in history that the popes have. There is no way you can look at any period, especially through the medieval and early modern era where the Pope was not an absolute mover and shaker in world events. I've always really, really loved the idea of looking at the Popes, not necessarily for religion's sake, but for history's sake. And then I started listening to Rex Factor, and I fell totally in love with the formula, and I started raving to you about it and how much I love this idea. And I was like, wouldn't it be great if they did it with Popes? And then you were like, "We should do it with pops," and that is the thing that happened. And then you had a terrible, terrible, sick fever at one point.
0: I, I basically had the flu. I spent like three days on my living room floor. I watched Santa a Diet, and then I think passed out for two days. <laughs> Yeah. So, yeah, and then I was just like, we should just call it Pontifax.
1: I just got the word Pontifax in a message. That, that's all you said, <laughs> just Pontifax. It
0: wasn't even entirely a sentence. No, no, it was just the word
1: Pontifax. And I went, oh, that's so good. And so it was born. Obviously, we emailed Graham and Allie to get their blessing. And then we were in touch with Rob and Jamie from Totalis Rankium, who helped us out a lot, which was awesome. That's why we're here. The second question is from Peter Dedman, who said, Was the sheer amount daunting at the start? After all, 266 weeks minimum is a long time to commit to a project. What did you think?
0: Whatever, man.
1: (laughs) I want to say yes and no. We we did the math up front, and we estimated that this was a five-year project at a minimum if we released every single week. But for me... It allowed me to spend more time shouting about history to people, which um I do a lot in my daily life, but I get a lot less confused looks with a podcast because people are here by their own choosing. I also don't think Fry was particularly daunted because she was already coming up with season two ideas by the time we launched our first episode.
0: Yeah, and I already had my other podcast for a year. So mm-hmm.
1: yeah, we both had a little bit of experience with podcasting before, so we kind of Had the ropes ready to go, and it made it super easy for us to just kind of slide into it and go, yep, this is how it's going to work, and we're just going to do it. And since we've been friends for so long, that wasn't going to come to an end anytime soon.
0: Yeah, you're just, you're going to be here forever. Yep, we would be
1: married, probably, if we were not both
0: (laughs) women. i also already married.
1: Yeah, true. Me too now. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Those men... They put up with us <laughs> they they do and and they're also very supportive of this ongoing lady bromance number three comes from ari she asked on average how much time does it take you to do full research for a certain pope at which point do you decide that it's sufficient enough research for the podcast and are there ever parts that are semi-interesting but you leave out of the podcast for time or thematic reasons and this is a question for me to answer and it's somewhat hard to answer directly because certain aspects of the research will have me researching like several popes at once like if i'm researching a trend or a shifting dynamic but each pope definitely gets at least a minimum of 30 hours of research and the bigger popes who've had larger impacts are are way way more than that it helps a lot that i don't sleep very well it's sufficient for me When I have read enough sources that I come to a point where every source that I read in in entirety is just repeating what I have already read and offering me nothing new. So each pope gets sourced from about 20 secondary sources minimum and any primary source that I can get my hand on with the access that I have. Because we're so early on and there's been so little to go on with the popes, I haven't left much out at all. Everything that exists about the Pope is in the episode right now. It will start to happen in the future, but it'll be little things. So if it's interested at all, I'm leaving it in. We're going to have longer episodes. And if it's really little tiny tidbits, I can always put them in the categories. Ari also asked, I'm curious, Brie, how do you decide which picture is the first one you will show Fry? (laughs) So right now, uh, the first image is always the one that's from the consistent set of St. Lawrence Outside the Walls painted at a later date and this just allows us to have some uniformity of style and lets us focus on what's unique about the individual picture rather than like the style of the image at least when it's available uh the only time we really diverge from that is when there's a really famous image associated with that pope that everyone would look at and go oh that's that guy Now, when we get to the late medieval and early modern era popes, this is going to change because we have a lot more of these iconic images and actual portraits, and then we're going to go into photographs. So I think it's just going to be whatever one's most striking to me or the one most associated with that pope is is how we're going to go. Now we have questions about specific popes and specific people. The Why Is That podcast asked us, which pope of the popes you've reviewed would make the best juggler and the best mime what (laughs)
0: serious question go sit in the corner (laughs) which pope do you think would be the best juggler i'm gonna go with linus oh okay
1: that's a good answer and uh which pope would be the best mime who calixtus okay See, I, I had some time, fortunately, to think about some of these questions. Yeah, I'm just like, what? <laughs> <laughs> to prepare these episodes. So, ah, uh, I think Calixtus would either be the best or worst juggler since things didn't really always go his way. And I thought maybe Telesphorus for a mime because he was an anchorite before he was pope. He's probably pretty comfortable with silence. Ah, uh, yes. Or maybe like Pope and Terrace for having such a short papacy because he didn't get to do a whole lot. I don't know. I didn't know where to exactly, like, hinge my logic on it, but <laughs> that's that's the best I could come up with, so. Chris Cree asked, Okay, how about a bit of fun? You've released Peter through Soriches, Who, that has been rated so far, is on your papal superhero squad, and why, and what is your team's name?
0: Well, it's obviously the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. True? True. And I have no idea who I don't want any of them on my superhero team.
1: You don't want any of them? Oh, they're going to be so verklempt about that. Um, I think I would want Clement, Calixtus, and Fabian, and I would call them Punchies and the Birdman.
0: Yeah, I'm just, I'm imagining, like, if I did, like, a Kingsman-style crew, which Popes I would need on that team. Oh, that would
1: be so good. Who would we need? Oh,
0: probably Saritius.
1: Yes, yes, he would definitely need to be there. Damasus, Mm-hmm, definitely. Mm. I feel like Liberius would be an interesting one, because, like, maybe he would, you know, be really, really awesome and fight really, really hard and be like, I can take on all of you! And then he gets in a fight, he's like, I give, I give! (laughs) He would be, like, our weak player.
0: yeah. Would they all just use their normal pope code names or would they get like, would they go with wine types? What would they? <laughs> I think they would all take a name of one of the
1: Bible people and one of the books in the Bible.
0: <laughs> you know,
1: you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. They would, the, the books of the Bible. This is our second recording for the day. We're going to fall apart. <laughs> uh, third question. Shabtai Atlo asks, who is the first pope from whom we have a contemporary portrait? So who is the first one when we say, you know, Facium Sanctus? Who is the first that we are sure it is their image? So technically, Damasus. Uh, the images on the gold plates are the first we can say that were contemporarily made images. Uh, they're stylized images, but they're the first verified. But we can't absolutely, absolutely be certain until at least the 12th century when we have commissioned portraits The closest other one that comes to mind at this point is there's a mosaic inside of Santa Maria Trastevere of Pope Innocent II, because he rebuilt the mosaic during his papacy of 1140 to 1143, and he had himself inserted in the mosaic. So it shows him with St. Laurentius and St. Calixtus, and he is standing in the middle holding a little tiny model church. So... That is the first we can verify, like, the Pope was actually involved in putting that image up. George, on Twitter, asked, Should Galerius get more credit for ending the persecution, even though he was a horrible human being with a truly epic death?
0: It is what it is. So you think he
1: deserves a little bit more recognition for it?
0: Mm, mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't know. Fair enough. Um, I-, I
1: thought about this one for a little bit, and I really, really found myself convinced by the sources that think he did it to appease Constantine, who was threatening to overtake him. So, no, I don't really want to give him more credit for it, because, you know, if he's doing it just because he knows that Constantine is coming, and he's using it to, like, placate him against forming an alliance with Maxentius, like, against him, I, I feel like it's almost a little cowardly. It's a Jesus take the wheel for real. And yeah, I don't know. I don't want to give him any more credit for it. I think he should get credited for his truly awful death more than toleration. Shabtai asks again, what is the view of origin in at least the Roman Catholic Church nowadays? Because he's so controversial and we're not quite done with him. And turns out he's, he's still quite controversial. He's never really received any sort of consensus from the church in terms of his actual value. The only thing that the church can agree on is that he definitely was one of the most influential theologians for the large chunk of church history. But for better or for worse, depends on who you talk to. We know that his reputation was rehabilitated a lot during the early days of Protestantism by some humanist scholars, not all, because Martin Luther was definitely, definitely not on board with this guy. So there are other branches of Christianity who look at him more favorably, but Roman Catholics haven't entirely made up their mind. The The most recent commentary I could find on it was that during Pope Benedict XVI's papacy, he was not afraid to express admiration for Origen, so maybe he's back in the good books. I don't know. Chris Cree... Said You said in an early episode that Pope Francis doesn't watch TV. You recently host about which Pope was the first to ride in a plane. Is there any technology that is embraced by the papacy? Well, this is a question, and this allows me to tell you things, Fry. (laughs) Because I also wanted to add to her idea that uh, Pope Francis doesn't watch TV. He's also really, really against mobile phones. Literally, like, the week that this question came in, he gave a general sermon about the danger of mobile phone addictions, warning teenagers to, like, get away from their phones.
0: Unless you're playing whatever Pokemon Go. Follow Jesus Go? Yeah.
1: (laughs) Yeah, um, he really likes telephones, though. Pope Francis has a habit of surprising people who write to him with phone calls. So people who write him letters often will receive a phone call from what he's been, he's actually been nicknamed by some of the people
0: who work in the Vatican as the cold call Pope. That's like really f***ed up because I don't answer my phone if I don't recognize the number. I know, right? And could you imagine not answering your phone for the Pope? Yeah, he'd leave me a message and then I'd feel really bad and then I wouldn't know how to call him back right? Because it'd be like, that's not the number you call back, is it? It could be. We
1: don't know. However, this is so common, by the way, that NCR online put together an article about telephone etiquette if you ever receive a call from the Pope. So I'm gonna send that to you. You can you can have a quick look over that. Let
0: me what happens if I if he calls me, and then I don't answer because
1: it's more about how to talk to him. Like, He doesn't want you to like freak out on the other end of the phone or like. Uh Oh, well. Yeah, it's, uh, there, there are some interesting points of etiquette and I will post this in the show notes for people who want to read about what you should do if Pope Francis calls you on the phone. As for other technology that the Vatican embraces, obviously airplanes because they have to fly all over. But the one that kind of stands out the most is that the Vatican has an observatory. They actually do a lot of work with astronomy
0: i'm reading this sorry i'm reading this and it says don't be afraid to be normal and it's like no i have the biggest potty mouth pope francis does not need that in his life i can tell you that as soon as i read this i was like i gotta write him a letter (laughs)
1: different different responses so yeah they they do a lot of work with astronomy so there is the vatican observatory there is also the Vatican Advanced Technology Telescope, where they do a lot of planet mapping and observation. So what technology do they embrace? Space! Question number seven, from Nicholas Martin. Random question here. But when you were in Rome, did you get a Pope Francis bottle opener? I'm lacking that one. So he sent me a picture and he has a bottle opener of Pope JP2 and Pope Benedict, and I was like, oh! That would have been awesome, but I did not. And I told you, I already responded to him in the tweet to let him know, but I said I would talk about what I did get. I got a lovely Pope Francis bobblehead, which is currently waving for me, to me, on its shelf. He's riding in the little Pope mobile, but it's all nice and open, and he's got his little glasses on, and it's great. I love that. I also got a rosary that has Pope Francis on it, and it's one of those rose rosaries, so they, they, like, soak them in rose water forever, and it still has, like, really strong rose smell.
0: Gonna smell like it forever. Yeah, and then I
1: got this tiny little medallion that somebody gave me, and it's just a little stamp of Pope Francis's face. Now, questions about Christianity as a whole. Ooh. Oh. No. So exciting.
0: We are not the authority on this. <laughs> uh there
1: are questions we can at least relatively answer. So, the first question from Retker K says, a recurring theme is your justified treatment of the liber pontificalis as untrustworthy, but there are reasons why it is such a hot mess. Could that be a topic for a special episode maybe, given its importance in the first 100 or so popes? Absolutely. There are a lot and lot of reasons that it's a hot mess. There are so many editions and it is uh, definitely going to get a special episode in time. So you're going to have to wait for that one. That may be a Patreon exclusive, but it is definitely, definitely getting an episode. Question number two from chap Atlo again. When and why did the Christian community move away from using the fish as its symbol and move to using a cross? This one, there's not a hard and fast answer, but at this time, it seems that the fish had already fallen out of major popular use, as it was the main symbol of Christianity when there were heavy persecutions. But after the conversion by Constantine and the vision told him to put the Cairo on his banners, it was not the major symbol anymore. So during the time period we're covering with our popes, the Cairo, or as Fry calls it the Jesus, Jesus P, yeah, is uh, more in more of the main symbol. As for when the cross comes into more popular usage, I am not entirely sure, and the research is very, very shoddy on that. But if I had to guess, I would speculate that it has something to do with the iconoclasm period, which is gonna favor like a very simple representation of the religion rather than something more ostentatious. We'll find out in time if that's even remotely accurate. Could be, could not be. Deep into History Podcast, Asked, could you contextualize the importance of Vatican II today? Love the show. This was such a big question. So I'm going to give a very simple answer because Vatican II will probably receive several bonus episodes when we get to it in like five years. First of all, any of us who are under the age of 50 or thereabouts, all of our Catholic experience, whether you were born a Catholic, raised a Catholic, or just have known people who are Catholic, all of our Catholic experience is based off the practices and attitudes that came out of Vatican II, because things changed pretty dramatically at that point. Before Vatican II, masses were given only in Latin, and the priest usually turned away from his congregation to sermonize with no participation from the actual attendees. Not the case anymore. But to contextualize the importance of, of the actual ecumenical council. The goals and themes of that ecumenical council were all about reconciliation and modernization. So it was about making the church more open for bigger, more greater, interconnected relationships in the world. So instead of being a purely mission-oriented relationship with other people, they were allowing Catholics to now have relationships with people that weren't just about trying to convert them not excluding Catholics from being present at other religious services and allowing the church through modernization to be relevant and applicable in a modern world. So those have some pretty huge contextual consequences. Uh, Like So it's very, very important today. If we still had a church that hadn't modernized and was still doing this insular exclusive, mission-oriented thing, we probably wouldn't see a Catholic resurgence like we are today. If you go on social media, you will see that there are still a lot of people talking about vocation and wanting to become nuns and wanting to become priests and people who are very, very active in a technological, modern world wanting to be a part of those things. And that may not have happened without Vatican II. I hope that's a good enough answer for a very, very short form. Question four from Peter Dedman. This is one we can both answer here. Do you feel that the Catholic Church's modern efforts to move with the times should go further and be more revolutionary? They've been moving that way for a while, but do you think that they will actually make substantial changes like female priests or relaxing celibacy in any of our lifetime? Relaxing celibacy. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, we have very different perspectives on this
0: uh, as to, I don't know, do we call you a non-Catholic? Oh, um, I think I'm technically lapsed. Tell us from the position of a lapsed
1: Catholic, and I'll give you my perspective as a non-Catholic, so. Um,
0: I don't think that women are ever going to be, like, the nuns have been, there's been groups of nuns that have been pretty outspoken about this for some time, like since the 70s or earlier so i don't i don't think they're gonna at least not for a while if it's been if it's been a a good long fight so far mm-hmm. and then whatever celibacy probably not because they would have to first decide like lay people stuff before they would consider like priests and everything it's a good point They don't, like, they have their laypeople rules, but, like, Pope Francis has been, you know, slowly, like, give people contraception, you know, things like that, and I think... Well, and and look at how well that went for him, because now he's being accused of heresy for it, so... Heresy for handing out condoms. Actual heresy. Yeah, so, I mean, I think we have to deal with, um their views on lay people banging before we will ever get to the views on priests banging.
1: Yep, that makes a lot of sense. Personally, I think that, yeah, there needs to be some pretty extreme updates to Catholic policies. Um, I think that any position or any policy that restricts women from serving in a position that men do isn't probably serving a practical or rational purpose. And I think it's pretty clear, like you said, that the Catholic Church has some amazing, strong, powerful, and dynamic women who would make for some pretty awesome religious leaders. As far as relaxing celibacy goes, I think that needs to be a personal choice for the individual. If they were ever to actually make it not a requirement, I think you have to leave that up to someone's personal choice. Because I, I want to be very clear that I do not think in any way, shape, or form that relaxing celibacy is going to fix the problems that the church is having with the sex abuse crisis. I don't think rigid celibacy is doing anything to help, but I don't think that that is going to do anything to stop it either. Um, I respect someone's right to choose a vow of celibacy as part of their religious vocation if that works for them. Cool. Nobody's saying you have to do differently. Do I think that this will happen in our lifetime? maybe, I can tell you it's not going to happen under Francis, because he's already said no to a female priesthood. And he personally has a very strong spiritual sense of commitment to his value, to his vow of celibacy. So he takes that one really, 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 really seriously. So I don't really see him moving away from that for other people when it means so much to him. And considering the candidates who are current, like, the the front runners to succeed Francis at any point in time, I think not soon. One day we will do a little bonus on who the actual, like, potential successors are for Pope Francis and what their betting odds are, because that's a whole interesting conversation. But not for today. <laughs> and the last question in this section is from atlo again. What about the Christians outside of the Roman Empire? How did they relate to all the councils and decretals and so forth from the bishops inside the empire? And of course, how did the Christians in those councils and bishops inside the empire relate to Christians outside of the empire? And the reason I'm putting this one last is because this is a question that would require, again, a whole episode to fill. And it's not really addressed in the source material available at the time related to the empire. The empire wasn't writing so specifically about Christians elsewhere. Where would they be? Asia? Uh, we do definitely have Christians in Ethiopia, which is outside of the broad spectrum of what is considered the empire. We've also talked about Armenia, which is in and out of the empire at different times, and Armenia is very Christian. So those are places that if we're going to answer your question with any actual satisfaction, we're going to have to do an episode on them at some point. So what we can say for that one is stay tuned. So we're going to end with one final question from George on Twitter. And I'm ending with it because this could have two separate questions attached to it. The question is favorite nommers. What? So, yeah, I wasn't sure if he meant, like, are we picking our favorite that nom people? or Are we picking our favorite things that we like to nom? So we're going to answer both questions.
0: All right. What is your favorite thing that noms popes? Favorite thing that noms popes specifically? Or favorite thing that noms anything?
1: Uh, well, we could say anything, things that
0: nom anything. Let's pick our favorite nomer in general. Oh, a choice. Mm hmm. I've never considered my favorite nomer. I really like Komodo dragons.
1: That's a good nomer. And we saw Pope
0: Sylvester had a Komodo dragon. <laughs> I also really like tigers.
1: Tigers are cool.
0: Bears. But if I say bears, then it's like to Chicago for me.
1: <laughs> so I mean, if you've seen a picture of my hair, it is no surprise that I like lions because I've got this crazy lion mane going on. And I'm a Leo. So you are a Leo. You're the most Leo. I I am a, the Leonian Leo for sure. Gryffindork? Yes, totally. As far as like my favorite animals that nom stuff, it's usually not dangerous nomers Like I really like Obviously corgis, and lemurs, and penguins, but they don't really do a whole lot of nomin.
0: No, I've never seen, like, a, a horde of penguins come at you and, like, strip a man of his flesh. I mean, that would be terrifying. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, yeah. Neither with lemurs.
1: Yeah, I, yeah, lemurs, I think, if they just came at you, they would still be cute as they ripped you away. The The penguins, would, I think, would scare me more. I mean, when the corgis are coming at you, it's just, it's the cutest ever. So, I have been in that situation where I have been mobbed by a mob of
0: corgis, so. Aw, I need corgis in my life.
1: You need to come visit me! Yay! You guys, remember that goal on Patreon is to get us back in person together, so send Fry my way so she can hug my corgi. I will hug the corgi so hard. You will. Now, if the question was about our favorite noms, uh, I think we could probably answer this in unison, which would be Nando's.
0: Nando's, yeah. I just put Nando's on everything.
1: Nando's. Even though it's, it's not, like, a specialty when we're together in
0: person, we go and eat Nando's. It's important. It's not like Chicago food or anything like that. Well, I mean, Chicago food is all, like, meats and cheese and unhealthy death. foods i don't really eat yeah you had a like half a hot dog one time <laughs> yep yep and that was enough and uh
1: don't talk to me about deep dish pizza that's just never gonna happen oh
0: i didn't even get you the deep dish i combined two things together i got brie a italian beef and giardiniera pizza delicious that was that one was really good but
1: i will not touch a deep dish so she knew that in advance but yeah, even when we're together, it's Nando's, so...
0: Nando's is
1: great! We share in each other's vicarious Nando's-ness when one of us is eating Nando's, mm-hmm. so... Which is usually me, because it's a lot easier to get here, so...
0: I mean, it's not super hard, it's like, what, it's like a 15-minute drive, but also it's a 15-minute drive. Yeah, you're usually like, I want Nando's, but it's too far. <laughs> I don't want to go anywhere. Like... It's supposed to deliver, but it doesn't deliver to me. So I think those um, DoorDash drivers need to get a little bit of a longer range. Like, they'll drive 10 minutes, but not 15 minutes. So I feel like they need to... Up their range a little, so I can get Nando's to me. Yeah, we don't have a lot of those food delivery services
1: yet, but I make the husband stop on his way home from work, so Nando's for me. Woo!
0: I mean, if uh, John still worked at Play Mechanics, it would be different. Totally, because there, it's it's like in between.
1: And if you're listening to this and you're wondering, I'm the extra, extra, extra spicy person. What do you get?
0: Well, depending on if I need to go somewhere else or if I can just lay in a spicy chicken-induced coma, (laughs) I will get either the medium or the hot.
1: Good to know. See, now you know the real intimate truth about us. (laughs) (laughs) This is the real questions that need to be asked. So
0: hopefully, George, we answered your question, whichever answer you were looking for. No, I really like that VUSA, is that what it's called? VUSA, the new one that you can't buy. I really like that stuff. It was delicious. But, uh, why they don't sell it, I don't know. They should really just let me have it in my home.
1: Because Nando's, for whatever reason, and we've been saying this for a year, they don't always want to take our money. You know, first they didn't open enough restaurants near you, and then they weren't selling their sauces, and then they were only selling their sauces in the U.S., so I couldn't buy them, and then they were only selling them here, and you had to buy them through Amazon. They just are not very good about going, yeah,
0: we'll take all of your money. I mean, if yeah, if if they wanted my money, they would definitely get it, but impossible. Yeah, exactly.
1: So that brings us to the end of all the questions that we have. There were a lot of questions. Thank you for sending them in. We really appreciate it. Thank you for listening. At any point that you joined us this year, thank you so much. It's so cool to know that people are listening and laughing along with us because we had no idea whether that was going to be a thing or not. And you guys continually blow us out of the water. So thank you to all of the podcasts that support us. Thank you to all of the articles that we've been written in. Thank you to anybody who has recommended us via any form of social media. Thank you if you have left a five-star review on iTunes. That makes a huge, huge difference. Thank you so much if you are supporting us on Patreon. Like, wow, that was not a thing we actually thought would happen.
0: Good thing we opened it, because now they're, like, charging people. Yeah,
1: I mean, it's good we launched it when we did, but we were just like, nah, this isn't really gonna...
0: Nobody's gonna give us any money.
1: Yeah, and you guys are actually supporting us in a way that makes this show not expensive to produce at currently which is awesome and yeah just thank you for being here we have hit milestone after milestone that we never saw in our first year let alone long term so you guys are the best
0: and if for some reason you want us to do some live shows make it happen because we are not gonna set any up things that might happen in the future live shows we might go to
1: some pod conventions we're looking at some merch we're Mm -hmm. you know there's gonna be a lot of good stuff coming so i hope you stay on board i hope you keep listening i hope you keep reviewing i hope you keep recommending and laughing at the crazy redhead yelling about popes and her sassy, sassy friend who makes the best quips ever, so.
0: My hair is currently pink. Yeah, it is pink, but it's going to change, so I didn't say it. And thank you, Fry, for going on this journey with me. You're the best. Thank you for putting up with me, I suppose. (laughs) (laughs) Forever. I've done that forever. We're good. (laughs) Well, with
1: that, I think it's only appropriate to really say, you guys amaze us. Thank you so much. and. Goodbye. Goodbye.